From Studio 113, this is the Changing Energy Podcast, recorded at Wake Electric. Here we are again. Back at it. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Changing Energy Podcast. My name is Don. I'm Kirk. Sean. And we are excited to bring you episode six, which we are going to cover lots and lots of, of, of topics, and we hope you enjoy it as usual. But here we are. We're going to go right into a, a banter. It is just past the 4th of July. Anybody see fireworks? Uh, heard them. Did not see them. You heard them? Yeah. I set some off in my yard. Did you? Yeah. Were they the big kind or just little pss- um, sparklers? Maybe, no, we had some sparklers, maybe, I don't know, we had a few that maybe got 25 feet, 30 feet, so, mm. and then I started getting worried, because, you know, it's been real dry <laughs> around here, <laughs> so I had oh to get the water. Yes. <laughs> yes, not a good time for uh, a wildfire somewhere, so, yeah, I was, uh, I actually went with my wife to a high school, because uh, we, we decided to volunteer to work concessions, because our local high school was putting off the fireworks, uh, it was the town of Wake Forest, was putting them off above the high school, and I was working the concession stands. It was hot as Hades, by the way, in <laughs> there. No air conditioning, and, and it was a blazing hot day. And so we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm looking out the concession stand. I can see the whole football field because that's where they were allowing everybody to, to do the football field. I'm very familiar with that football field, one, because my kids went to school there, but also because one of our largest transmission lines that we maintain go right past the football field. Oh, so we're talking about oh, 115,000 yeah. volts. It connects to a substation that, that probably serves almost 6,000 of our members. And, and so it's, it's a beautiful sight, honestly. I, right. mean, I, I like looking at it. <laughs> but then as I'm sitting there selling the Skittles and the, and the pizza and everything else from the concession stands, I look out and it's a football field full of people, and I see a kite. Oh no! <laughs> I'm uh, like, oh no, not a kite because with the kite and the electricity and the um, key. So this is just a a public service announcement. Don't <laughs> do not fly a kite next to transmission lines. So I went down and actually saw one of Awake Electric employees walking around. I said, please go find out what their intentions are, and 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 he went down and talked to him and explained how they should come no closer than 200 feet. You know, from that, and and actually, soon after that, I saw the kite come down. So I think they they wised up. It's not probably not a good place. So wow. fly your kite in a field. You yes, know, away mm-hmm. far away from yeah, that could have been a scary situation. Yeah, God. yeah. But I was like, oh no, not a kite. Anything else uh, that you did over Fourth of July? Just grilled some hamburgers. Spent some time with the family. Saw the new Minion movie. Oh, so, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Um, we went to, um, me and my fiance, we went to Ohio. Her niece was having a wedding. So um, we was in Ohio the whole time, did some grilling, uh, watched the Thor movie. Oh, man, I want to <laughs> see that next. Um, and just, just kind of hung out with her side of the family. I went to Canada, to the Canadian Rockies, up to Banff National Park. I saw the Maverick movie. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it sounds like it was a movie movie uh, weekend. But anyway, yeah. we're glad you're here. We're not going to talk about movies uh, any longer because we have a lot of energy topics to talk about. So uh, with that, let's go into the news. And now the news. 
I love when you do that, Sean. Love it. <laughs> oh, there we go. We got it. We have yeah. to get the love it. Anyway. We were waiting on the love it to come. Um, we got two uh, two quick news topics we want to cover. Um, both of them will actually be addressed in in upcoming episodes too. So uh, you saw one. Who's got one? You've got one right there. Um, yes, this one uh, was published re- um, recently, June twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. Says going beyond autonomous operation is the next big leap for utility drones. Absolutely. Drones. Mm. I want a drone episode because, and we have a couple drone pilots here at Wake Electric, and we're trying to figure out exactly yeah. what those are going to be. Actually, in that same, uh, in that same article, uh, in the same magazine, which was Rural Electrification Magazine, which is probably, not a lot of our listeners probably get that magazine, but we can <laughs> post a link to it yes. and make sure they yeah. can read it. But actually, at the, at the beginning of each of, of these, uh, these issues, they do a co-op forum, and we've read co-op forum answers in the past where they ask a certain number of people in our industry a question. They ask, what impact will drones have on co-op operations over the next 10 years? And the first guy they ask is Bill Hovenek, and he is from Sangre de Cristo Electric in Colorado. Yeah. And he's just and he is a, uh, he's a GIS guy, and he's just talking about how mapping – with drones is going to change everything for for them. It, they're going to be able to get their GIS mapping data and their inspections and their work orders. And they actually mention vegetation management as an inspection they do. So uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's a hot topic. Then we have Dion Cooper. He's the president and CEO of Southwest Arkansas Electric. He says, my vision is that someday an outage would look something like the following. The AMI SCADA system would report an outage to the outage management system. The outage management system automatically dispatches a drone from a substation. The drone relays video, LIDAR, GPS coordinates, etc. back for damage assessment. The outage management system then notifies dispatch or crews with location and equipment information needed to make the repairs. Wow. And that is what uh, sort of that article is Mm -hmm. about when they say beyond line of sight. Do you all know know, what the current rules are for us in flying a drone? It's got to be what within... You know, you got to be able to see it. It's got to be visible. Right. Even if it's binoculars, you yeah. still have to see it. You have it. to and, see it visibly. And we're going to talk about you know, Wake Electric, and we have well over 75-foot trees. Mm-hmm. Um, finish this line. Heading down south so, to the land of the free. No, it's pine. I mean, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have got it either. I probably, I was I, like, it's I probably wagon wheel. Oh, that's right, yeah. The land of the pines. I got Carolina on my mind. Okay. Okay. Then that's not it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But we have a problem because we can only fly so far because the trees get out of sight. So what this article, I think, is is saying, and I don't know if you had any any particular quotes that you wanted to look at or anything like that, but the FAA is starting Mm -hmm. to make special rules for utilities. Yeah. Um, And so, and they're saying that it was introduced back in April. So this may not be. So far away, maybe two, three years. Um, um, but yeah, this this is this little paragraph here, right at the beginning, to me was just one of the most interesting parts. To me, it says no longer limited to staying within the line of sight of its on the ground operator, it travels much much further down the lines using an array of visual, thermal, and LIDAR sensors to accomplish miles of inspection in a single flight. Right, and L and LIDAR lidar yeah. is sort of a laser that. It, me- it measures the reflection of that laser off of a solid object. So it gets a very, very distinct distance. And so there's, and they do 
millions of them. Yeah. And they, so they can take, they, they LIDAR an image, and then they can recreate that image in digitally. Pretty amazing. Go ahead. Oh, um, I was just saying that that's what sounded so interesting is that, you know, instead of just having a serviceman try to look at the lines, try to figure something out and see what's going on, having a drone that can look through that in a single flight that only should take about a couple of minutes. Right. Yeah. And get the information that we need, which means that we can get um, quicker to uh, restoring outages. Right. Because we don't always know when we're going down in a right away, we don't always know what we're going to find. So we don't know what tools to bring. A lot of times we have to walk to it. Sometimes we have to climb it. Knowing what we're going to find when we get down there, whether we need to replace an insulator or bring wire up from the ground, it's different tools for those different yeah. things. So just having that damage assessment. And then also I was reading in there where it talks about, you know, any danger or picks up another plane flying or something that it will avert it, you know, automatically. Right. It'll, you know, it'll so catch. That, well, that's important. That's yeah. that's why a manual yeah. or line of sights required today yeah. is so you can bring it down if you see anything. Um, we actually, I have an application that I thought would be amazing for this. Was if imagine each of our substation. That's the critical infrastructure of our cooperative. Our substations where we take the high voltage and start distributing it out. If an outage occurs at a station, we take out the largest number of people. So it's good to stay on top. And there's so many different assets that we need to monitor. And right now we do a visual inspection about once a month where we walk in there and we take the readings off everything and we check the thermal imagery to see what might be heating up. Imagine that we had a drone dock on the top of a building and once a day the drone just <laughs> lifted up from the dock and did a pattern around the substation taking thermal imagery taking any visual inspection and sending yeah. that back to us so we don't have to ride out there and we get a daily inspection of every substation yeah, to see if anything's trending hot or or if it's been broken into sometimes yeah. we don't know that we've had a burglary or any any type of sabotage until we've gone yeah. out there and seen the gate sitting open that's true. Or the or the yeah. fence got we'll out. Have a drone employee one day. That's right. So uh, that, I think this will all <laughs> be. Uh, I think there'll always need to be a human element on some of these decisions. Of so who's going to evaluate the video and the data yeah. and it comes back? You get like what a FAA license? Is that right? You got to take an exam and yes, and and they and they do say in the article. I think that the future is that they're going to require a lot more. Yeah. type of training you just don't get a hundred and say here go take it and play with it you know <laughs> <laughs> right right now any any hobbyist drone does not need a license so you can go out there and buy a drone fly it as a hobby but the second you're using it for commercial use or marketing which i gotta tell you we have a drone probably 90 percent of it is being used to take good pictures from the sky yeah. And we get it, and we get construction. We we do updates on construction by getting drone footage. But a lot of time it's B footage so we can make videos and stuff for the co-op. We did have one inst- instant where uh, we had a line down that went over a, a lake, and the, and the conductor fell into the lake, and we needed to pull it back up. And so one of the ways that we did that was we actually flew a feed line across the lake with the drone, and so we wow. were able to pull the yeah. line across using the, the line using the feed line with the drone. Boat. Yeah. And we didn't need a boat because that I remember yeah. that outage occurring and someone <laughs> says, We need a boat. We gotta go rent a boat and we gotta find yeah. a boat. And and it came to us that we have a drone, we could fly yeah. it across and it worked out great. Yeah. So And they mentioned that in the article about using it like that. So. Yeah. We'll have uh we'll have a, a future episode about that too. Another article? Another article we have comes from a uh, Green Car Reports and the title is Thousands with Tesla Power Walls will back up the grid in a virtual power plant experiment. 
mm-hmm. by Stephen Edelstein. That's I mean this is this is amazing. This is sort yeah. of what we've been talking about, and to see a utility teaming up with Tesla, that's that's pretty exciting news. Yeah, and I, I'll read the first kind of paragraph here. So Tesla and then the California Electric Utility, Pacific Gas and Electric (PG and E) they're launching a pilot program that will use Tesla Powerwall home energy storage battery packs as a virtual power plant to back up the grid. Back in June, Tesla invited approximately 25,000 Powerwall owners who are P&G and E customers to participate in the program. And so they've officially got about 1,500 that are uh, willing to, um, you know, that are enrolled in the pilot program. Yeah, so essentially PG and E is going to charge, make sure their their battery. Actually, they probably don't make sure that their battery is charged. They just ask the consumer to allow them to discharge the battery. Mm-hmm. During peak conditions. Kind of balance the grid. They're going to see if it can help. And the most amazing part of this article is what they're willing to pay. Yes. And so (laughs) I was like, whoa. And so we are always being uh, sort of criticized in some way that we're not paying enough for solar. And and part of our argument has been, well, solar doesn't always occur during our peak. Mm -hmm. And if it's not occurring during our peak, it's actually pretty cheap wholesale price so we can't afford to pay very much for the solar but if it was a peak and we knew that it was a peak and we could control it then it's worth a lot more to us and uh and so here's a situation where did you see how much they were going to charge give to the consumer uh sean was it about like i think it was close to two dollars per kwh two dollars per kwh now again we sell electricity for about 11 cents Mm -hmm. a kilowatt hour and they're offering $2 a kilowatt hour if they use their battery. Now, the PG&E rate's a little bit different than ours. They're at $0.32, 32 cents, cent, yeah. uh, as their regular rate. So we, we benefit that in North Carolina yeah. as having cheaper rates. But $2 a kilowatt hour. So if you think about it, a, a Tesla Powerwall stores about 13.5 kWh. So when it's, if it's completely full and it gets discharged full, to that consumer, it could be worth $27 that that month um and maybe multiple days i mean i don't know how their their peak days work but it could be multiple days in a row and so by the end of the month this could actually help them become net zero in their bill for the first time by putting this technology and letting uh letting it and coordinating that with the utility which i think is exciting their demand hours was from four to to uh, 9 p.m., 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Yeah, and, and California's having all kinds of issues, as yeah. we see in the news every day. They're limited on the hydropower they can use because of the drought. Yeah. And uh, another thing it says here is that California plans to only sell electric vehicles yep. by 2035. And we all we, we talked last time about the, the vehicle-to-grid type of technology. So not just Tesla Powerwalls in the future. It could be mm-hmm. your vehicle and, and that sort of thing. What I also liked about it and what our listeners will probably like to hear is that anybody has the ability to opt out. So if it's, And you could say you could program it to say never get below 25%. Because I always, oh, nice. I always want a little in a little juice in the battery in case I do have a power outage and I want to do something with it. Right. So they can say only drain it to this amount, or they could opt out and say today's not the day, and they yep. could opt out at that moment and save their battery. They don't get paid if they opt out, but it's still there and it's their choice, which I like too. is a is a great can, opportunity. Let me ask a question. I don't know if you know the answer right now, but I, when I was reading this article, I was thinking. How many Tesla Powerwalls would it take 
to provide power to all of Wake Electric's members. Oh my gosh! I mean, I know it's kind of you know you weren't prepared or anything, but I was when I was reading it, I was like, how many you know would it take? And I'm not saying like for a whole month, but like maybe let's just say for eight hours during the day. Eight hours. (laughs) All right, let's all right let's let's cut it back. Take it to an hour. Okay, okay. okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's take it to sixty minutes. All right, I got a pen in hand, Uh and I'm gonna I'm gonna push pause. Okay. I've done the math. Great. <laughs> All right. So our peak is reaching, is coming close to reaching 220 megawatts. If each of these units are capable of dispatching 13 kW for an hour, uh-huh. and we and we were able to hone in that peak time at about an hour, it would take 16,925 power walls <laughs> to cover our entire load. Just for one hour. That's right. We have fifty-two thousand meters. So what do we right. need? We need a, we basically need twenty percent yeah, of our members right. uh-huh. to have one of these. And so, you think you have this, or you have an electric vehicle that does vehicle to grid? Right? Could we ever see ourselves getting there? Numbers make sense. Yeah, numbers. Yeah. It's a. It's. It's. We got a lot of work to do. Yeah, we got a, a lot, lot of work to do. But it it, it kind of kind of makes sense. So it's exciting that. They're willing to experiment with yeah. this. We'll be keeping a close eye on it. Uh, to me, it's just surprising how quickly everything seems to be moving forward. There was talks about it a year or two ago, and then just seeing now how much effort um, it seems like a lot of these companies are pushing forward, and co-ops now are adopting it as well. Like we're literally seeing a change of energy. I think the the next big step is if batteries prove themselves so uh, efficiently. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then, do we have enough lithium in the in the world right. to handle our demand, <laughs> oh, or do we need other types of storage? And so, I think I think that's where the research is going: is what other storage can we use besides? Yep. We need to find lithium. another mineral. Yes, <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> or find more storage. So I think that because because yes, the numbers work, but can, do we have enough resources? To, to build that yeah. type of infrastructure will be interesting to watch. And that's why I wanted to know to kind of put in perspective yeah. how many Tesla Powerwalls would it take for us? That's just Waco. That's electric. what I'm saying. And yeah. I wanted everybody to <laughs> think about the, the United States and the world. I mean, that, yeah. that was my you know the point of my question. Good stuff. And here we are with Ed Wheeler. Ed, you've worked for Wake Electric for how long? Well, 30 years and 10 months. 35 years, 10 months, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. and but you're officially retired. Officially retired. Doing what? Going back to full-time farming. Full-time farming. Farming. Love it. Tell us what you did at Wake Electric. Well, from the whole time of the, the last 20 time. years. Well, I started out as a grunt on a line crew, <laughs> and actually I was What's a paid. day in the life of a grunt like? <laughs> Well, whatever the others don't want to do, they tell you to go do it. You know, <laughs> things get boring. They'll tell you, "Say, go find the wire stretcher." You know, <laughs> you stretched a lot of wire. I walked for a long time trying to find one. Yeah. It's kind of like a snipe hunt. I was getting ready to go. say, yeah, yes, sir, yeah, snipe hunt. That's right. That's right. Uh, real quick, can you do a coon call? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's amazing. Does that work? It has. <laughs> okay, back to being a grunt. That's great. 
Back to being a grunt. <laughs> yes, yeah, your, right, your history well, at Wake Electric. Um, well, the first six weeks that I worked with Wake Electric, I was being paid by them, but I actually worked with a sump to build a crew. Okay. They were in here doing pole change out, and uh, I was hired to be part of a newly formed maintenance crew mm-hmm. to go around and change out poles and do sectionalizing work and hang regulators. We were in the process, well, they were in the process of doing a study, finding out that uh, with load increasing and stuff like that, the system needed to be sectionalized in a better uh, means than it was presently. So, so just real quick for the listeners, sectionalizing means you're basically putting switches and different types of breakers in several locations so that we don't lose a whole line. That's right. When, when a fault occurs, it'll only take out a section, section. not a not a whole line. That's yeah. right. Yep. Exactly right. Pretty much worse. Similar to the, uh, a fuse box in your house. Oh, no, sure. In other words, yeah. one room had its own little circuit, you know. From that, I progressed on up to uh, got into the apprentice program here with Wake, worked myself all the way to second-class lineman, and then – and opened and came in engineering and being associated with the sectionalizing, for some reason or another, that came very easy to me to understand. They wanted someone in-house to start going around and following the pole inspectors, writing up the poles for change out and so forth, and in certain areas, going along with the study, write up for cutouts to be installed. And I got involved with that. And then the next thing you know, that sort of evolved into, well, why are you up there doing that on that circuit? Go by here and go by this place and meet this person and write up for a security light. You know, a little small, uh-huh. simple staking stuff. And, well, next thing you know, I was doing staking instead of any pole write-ups and sectionalizing write-ups. So. And staking is a term that pretty much just co-ops use, <clears throat> and that is just designing and writing up a piece of paper that, mm-hmm. that to give the operation, say, build it this way. Yep, And that involved into staking new service to a house. And the next thing you know, well, I was doing DOT relocation projects. And then in July of 1996, George Macon announced that he was going to be retiring in August. And at that time, George was well, the supervisor of right-of-way maintenance. When George announced he was retiring, they, you know, he hawing with the idea of replacing George or not. Well, as fate would have it, in all in September, Hurricane Fran hit us. Oh, and Wake Electric had <laughs> never had anything <laughs> hit them like Hurricane Fran did. I don't think when we came in that morning there was one light at all burning on the system. I don't think there was. I think I every think we meter. were totally out. And uh, well, wow, we went to work and got things restored from that. And uh, still, the idea was to just see if contractors could you know, carry on, maintain themselves. And in October, uh, Mr. Bert Pearson, who was the manager of engineering and operations both at that time, got tired of his phone ringing with people upset of how the trains were being trimmed and done. And uh, he decided that somebody needed to be put into position to take those calls and be Wake's liaison out in the field. So I was awarded that opportunity and became right of way Maintenance supervisor in October of 1996. Awesome. So, yeah, we're, our topic for today is vegetation management. Some people, this is going to be, I think it's going to be way more interesting than most people would think. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot, a lot to, it. a lot to um, it. First yeah, of right. all, you know, vegetation management is, is simply keeping the right-of-way 
clear. So what does that mean? A right-of-way is the term that we use for the distance that we need clearance on our overhead lines. It's a it's an area where we, rec- we would not allow any buildings, any trees, anything above ground that uh, we can't control. And why? It's safety, reliability, and you gave me accessibility. Accessibility. Accessibility, because we need to get to those lines to work on. In the last episode, we answered the question of why don't we put everything underground. Can't afford it. Can't afford it, (laughs) right. Uh, It's expensive, (laughs) and it's also, you know, from a technical standpoint, it's easy to get to, and we can mm -hmm. can fix it. And not only that, I mean, yes, it's a big cost, but everything else is in the ground. you got sewer to deal with, water to deal with, communications to deal with, and when everybody's down there digging in a place where you can't see nothing, you know, you're relying on the marks that a man has put here on top of the ground. Yeah. yeah. It's easily yeah. to get tangled up with somebody else's stuff. It's, it's going to be a lot of digging. So it's, you know, in that respect, it's more reliable. You know, we if we keep those areas clear, well, first of all, we don't have to pay for insulation when it's, it's bare conductor. The only way we insulate it is with space. That's right. And we, and we make that clearance. Um, and so when we do that, we have less chance of wildfires and all other complications. What's the distances that we typically say for a distribution line? Distribution line is 30-foot easement. That is 15-foot either side, center line of the pole. So I want everybody to, to do that. When Next time you're standing underneath the line, you should be able to look 15 feet to your left and 15 feet to your right. You should have clearance. Clearance by rural utility standards is ground. From ground to sky. Ground to sky. In other words, when you pull 15 foot off the side of a pole and you stand there and you look straight up, you should see nothing but blue. Right. Or gray <laughs> yeah, if it's right. a cloudy day. And and that's a challenge, right? Because uh, equipment. Yes, cause, sir. Because the trees in North Carolina don't stop growing that's at right. 70 <laughs> feet or 30 feet or anything exactly like that. Right. They yes, get up. Sir. They get up above 100 feet. That's right. Hard to cut those. That's exactly right. And, yes, used to we, we – uh, the contractors, most of them had what they call fiberglass. Well, they were fiberglass sticks. Mm-hmm. They call them pole saws. And they would put sections together and go on up, you know, probably another 15, 20 foot beyond the reach of the bucket mm. and still trim what they could do. But it was a slow process because you, uh-huh. you know, you saw them with a, a little hand saw on the end of sticks and you have to be careful to weigh what you are you cutting. Don't want it to hit you. Fall slow and yeah. fall straight down versus coming off and. Falling flat and being crossed the line. Right. I always had to uh, always argue with Odie because I would I would say the trees caused the outage, <laughs> <laughs> and he would say no, they didn't. No, the wind didn't. caused the, the outage. Wind caused it. That's right. <laughs> the wind blew the tree, or the snow made the overhang. That's right. Um, but obviously, overhang is a is something that we have as a standard just because we can't cut so high. Sometimes we have trees that just overhang at a certain distance. Um, what's the clearance um, from the ground it, it went when we have bushes and shrubs and stuff like that? We like to keep stuff anywhere from, well, below 15 feet. Okay. Let 15, from ground growth be a maximum of 15 foot high. Right. That doesn't and give you a whole much like clearance. 12, yes, sir. Yeah. Because, Kirk, I told you earlier, when we have really high loads and, and during the middle of, the, of summer or early in the morning mm-hmm. in the wintertime, these lines don't stay still. They actually expand when the, the amount of electricity pushing through that, they expand and they sag. That's right. They heat up and sag just like you pulling licorice. <clears throat> so, so, like, when you when you look at a line on a very mild day and there's uh-huh. not a lot of electricity going, no one's home. So straight. They, they're straight, mm-hmm. but on a, on a really high-capacity day, you'll see those sag quite a bit. So we can't just rely on, oh, it's clear today, yeah. so we got good two feet. 
<laughs> I'm going to remember that and check that out driving down the road on a summer day when all the air conditions are going, you know, four or five, six o'clock. Yes, sir. Right, and see it sagging. That's, you know. So I guess with all the electricity going through the line makes it sag. Yeah. It expands the material. The load. Yep. Okay. We talk about the, the big outage that happened in 2003 up in the New York area. Uh, a blackout. A blackout. Almost 50 million people without power. And they say it was caused by? A tree. A tree. Yeah, so one tree that took out 50 million people caused quite a stir because it was only a couple years after 9-11 and it took out all of Manhattan. I was in a meeting one time, and I think, well, the best, they were pretty much giving the calls. And was one of the utilities up there that lost a transmission line, and the way stuff was tied together up there, it automatically kicked in and was drawing current off of other lines to pick up the load Mm. That line was supplying. It's cascading. That's exactly right. right. And the process of those other lines picking up that load caused them to heat up. And actually, it was one that I think about second in the process of picking up the load from the initial one uh-huh. sagged down because of the heat and the buildup and got into the top of a tree, and that took out everything. Right. Wow. Mm. Landowners. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> we got to have them in a, in the mind of a landowner. There is no good reason to cut their beautiful oak tree. Well, you know, Don, that's that's two sides of that. You can go from zero to hero very quickly out there <laughs> doing right of way maintenance work. And you know, a lot of times people plant uh, uh, sentimental stuff because this grandma or granddaddy once planted it, and and they played in it when they was a young. And I just you know it wasn't as big as it is now because it wasn't. Up in the power line, I'm sure Grandma and Grandpa wouldn't have let them got in it. Yeah, you can you can upset people easily now when you go in and and try and do the best cutting you know to do. You know, all of these contractors are trained, and their people try to get them to trim. You know, by arboricultural standards. But I'm gonna tell you, a lot of time the best cut is not the prettiest cut, mm-hmm. and they'll mm-hmm. be quick to tell you that in any arboricultural. Manuals that you you read that the best cut is not the prettiest cut, and you know some people want you to take the time to round over the trees and stuff like that, which actually is a, is a bad thing because you're putting the possibility of bacteria getting in every limb of the tree where you drop it out instead of just a few that you had to trim mm. to get the clearance on the line. I I get the calls. They butchered it. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, I do. They, oh, I did too. Yeah. I don't know more, but I did. Yes, sir. But you know, twenty. It, it a T and D magazine did a a, a survey. Twenty four percent of all outages are called are tree related. So members got to realize that that there's a reason why we're yep. doing this. It's for safety, right. reliability. And we don't always leave the tree in the most beautiful um, condition. Sometimes also, another um, complaint, and we're doing this so that we can educate everybody on how it works, right. that we'll send a crew down to cut, and there'll be limbs all over the ground. Mm-hmm. And then there's a different process to come out and chip it and move it and, and clean it up. Sometimes that can be a 48-hour delay. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So we get a lot of calls. They came here yesterday. They <laughs> left my place a mess. And, and, and we do intend... To clean up and leave it in the best condition we can. That's so. right. Yes, sir. And the way things are nowadays, it's hard to have a specific chip truck to follow each individual bucket. And most of your contractors are having one three-man crew with a chip and chip truck nurse three buckets. 
And, uh-huh. you know, you have three buckets going in and out of yards. You have a lot of brush oh, yeah. can build ruts. up quickly. Mm. Mm-hmm. And ruts in the yard. And, that's, oh. that's right. Do, do you have a, a special story or anything you'd like to share? You know, I'm sure there's one out there that uh, mm. is special chased. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole lot of them. I just don't know which one would be the best to tell. Okay. <laughs> one will come to mind. All right. <laughs> Let's keep talking. <laughs> so a uh, homeowner, obviously we want them to have their best experience with us, and, and they might have a yard that goes into the right-of-way. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's always best if they asked us, what could I plant? And, you know, my first answer is I'd rather you not plant anything. That's right. But if they say, we just really want to beautify our yard, is there anything you would recommend? What answer do we sometimes give? The best thing, Don, that you can plant under a line that will be usually 95% foolproof part is having to go back and trim it is a dogwood. Mm. Dogwoods are very hard to get to live sometimes in certain areas because of the soil. That's our state tree. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But uh, they are very temperamental. And, but they are the best thing if you've got to plant something under a power line to plant. Hmm. We used to oh, think good. that fruit trees or Bradford pears, and they quickly became a no-no because Bradford pears were first designed to be 12 to 15 foot tall at, at mature height. Hmm. Well, we see now that they can go on up 35, 40, even 45 foot. Hmm. And plus, they're very, very brittle. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. And once we've told them it was okay. <laughs> and once we told them it was okay, that was all we said. That's why our yes. first answer is we'd rather you not. Had an instance one time where we went out and we trimmed the right of way. Didn't get it back as far as it should have went. But, uh, very strongly upset the couple. And when I went out to meet them, they said, we called in years ago before we planted these trees. And we were told we had to plant them 15 foot off of the pole. You know, either side, uh-huh. which is what they did. But they yeah. planted a willow oak, and a willow oak has, you know, the <laughs> ability to get seventy-five foot tall and wide. And yeah, I was going to say, girth, <laughs> and have a girth of sixty to seventy feet. You know, a willow oak. <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, how happy were they? <clears throat> not very. How did you settle that? Did you just you take it from the the trunk, yes, ground sir. to sky? Well, we yes, sir. We. <laughs> Did the best we could to try and give that side some shape. I also have the request sometimes. Of, well, if you're going to do that to my tree, why don't you just take it, take it all? And we say, yes, sir. We'll and we do, do that. It. And we'll do it. We can make that happen. Yeah. We'd, ra- we'd rather take it do out. Do we prefer to take the whole tree rather than trim? And, and most? It's more expensive for us to take the whole tree, right, but right. It, it cleans up a problem yeah, of us having this conversation yeah. every yeah. five years. That's right. It'd be worth we're, it. Yeah. We're going to talk about this uh, in just a, f- a few minutes, but right now our, our cut cycle is about every five years. We're trying to get around yeah. the system. Well, we, I, That's we, okay. Yes. We I still claim the, you. The plan, <laughs> the plan now, Don, is trying to get around the system in you know a good five and a half years, be a, totally around all seven counties. Yep. Uh, danger trees. We call, the, we call danger trees. Those are trees that are outside of our right-of-way, trees that we don't cut because they're outside that 15 feet we didn't go through transmission but transmission is 100 foot and yes sir we have some that's 100 feet and we have some that's 50 feet okay and we've set that by whatever regulatory um, standard we had there so outside so we have a tree it's outside of our Mm right-of-way and we see that it's it's tall enough to fall across our lines and potentially dying potentially dying or either already did or already did how do you handle that well, I would go and I'd assess the tree, see what type it was. If it's a pine and the bark has already slid on it, and when I say that, you see the clear 
wood of the tree without mm-hmm. any bark, time is getting close to that tree is going to fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the tree is straight up, you know it's a 50-50 chance. And what you consider then is which way you normally get your strong storm winds from. Okay. And, wow. Uh, I'm learning something. That's, yeah. I'd always look, you know, most of the time I hear with thunderstorms is going to be coming from the northwest or the southwest. You know, the tree was on that side of the line, and I took took it very seriously about getting it down or, or making it line safe. And sure. when I say line safe, we come down, we get the bucket in there as far as we can reach, and we'll take the tree down to a point that if it does fall toward the line, it's not tall enough or long yeah. enough to reach the line. That's made line safe. Yeah. One of the, only, one of the biggest outages that we've had since I were here for the last 12 years was a tree outside of the – this is a, uh, the Wake Forest 115. Mm-hmm. A tree outside of the, the right-of-way, perfectly healthy tree, bad soil, mm-hmm. and it caused bad it to soil. fall. And uh, so oh. that's hard to you know it's hard to predict. Well, yeah. how do you <laughs> predict the soil? Exactly. Well, you know you had that happens a lot of times if a tree, a large tree, is on a creek bank, mm-hmm. and the way that you know there's a whole lot of pavement around Wake Forest and uh, okay, uh, Roseville uh-huh. area now, and it doesn't take but a you know an inch of rain that can actually cause a flash flood. Right, and when your little branches and streams start to run in full blast like that, it's very easy for them to uh, undermine the root system of a tree that could be on a creek bank. And should a power line be close by, and the way our springs have been here lately, there's plenty of moisture in the ground. Trees put on a heavy leaf load, mm. and with trees with a heavy leaf load, it's all more of the surface there for them to catch water, mm-hmm. and you know it just makes them heavy. And they're very easy to go over. Wow. Yeah. The way we inspect lines, um, we inspect for trees, ground walking, driving around, just yes, looking sir. at it, just visualizing it. We have in the past for also looking at the poles, we've used helicopters. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in damage assessment after a hurricane like Fran. Hurricane was very, very, very useful after Fran. because Did you ever we fly had in one? No, sir. Never <laughs> been in one except on the movies. You know. He answered that pretty quick. <laughs> Would you like to go over one? It'd be all right. Yeah. I mean, you look I'm good. You'd look good in a helicopter. Roger that. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> uh, we are starting to use drones, yeah. and we talked about that earlier in the news segment. And uh, and then there's just the regular patrol, our linemen, that just do their job on day by day, and they're reporting stuff to you, too. Wanted and the to, members, they do a good job. They'll call yeah, us so in. that's what we yeah. want, want this podcast. If a member's out there... And they're examining a lot of erosion around a really tall tree next to one of our lines. Oh, yeah. You know, let us know. If we know of a tree that's dying and they'd like it taken out and we think it's going to be a threat, we'll assess it. If we assess that it could be a threat, we'll be happy to go out there and take it. I've had many visits with people that had that concern. Yes, sir. Okay. And they're, I think they're pleasantly surprised and pleased with our response that we'll help them out. But they don't understand the importance. That's right. (laughs) That it is to all of our members to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, good. You be thinking about those stories because at the end of this, I want to hear you know one of your favorite co-op stories, just period. <laughs> and then if you have a good uh, member interaction story, but I want to talk about this is called changing energy. We talk about things are changing, and and Ed did his thing for twenty years, and now Ed is retired. We have a new uh, supervisor in that position, and we are introducing some new technology, and this is really taken off, and that is using satellite imagery to evaluate the vegetation and, and how close it's getting. So 
imagine this. Now satellites are capable of measuring within one foot horizontally and measuring wow. three foot vertically. So from the sky, how many hundred miles up, uh-huh. they're able to tell within a foot how close a limb is getting to a, to a line. And they're able to tell the, t- the height of a tree. Um, so we're using this technology to scan our entire system all at one time, one moment in time. Boom. We do that in the spring, and we're going to do it again in the fall. So we can see what growth occurred over the summer. Uh-huh. And so there's a cycle of growth. So now we start to put some analytics into it. We start to put artificial intelligence in there to start predicting the trends of growth. Yeah. And, and supposedly they're going to be able to tell species of trees – and they're going to be able to put that into the artificial intelligence. Say wow. this tree grows at this rate. This, this rate. Uh-huh. These trees grow at a different rate, and they're going to be able to tell us the appropriate cut cycle outside of that five and a half years that we've determined. And so, not only that is I have this map up here in in the studio that Ed's never seen, but they're trying to then get us to verify whether it can be cut with a bucket truck from a road or whether it'd have to be used a mechanical device to cut it or whether we'll have to climb to cut it. Do you remember, do we have to climb very many anymore? Very, very few. Okay. That's what, that's what Joe was telling me too, our our other supervisor. So that's good to know because then we can apply cost associated with each type of cut. Uh So now we could almost know pretty closely what it's going to cost us to maintain it. And if we're given a limited budget, right, right now we have plenty of budget to do what we need to do every year. But if we ever get to that limitation, we can more appropriately, effectively you know, put people in the right place at the right time to make the cuts made. So they can also, they're starting about multi-spectral frequencies to the point that they could see thermal images at the same time. And, it, and as they start to develop that, they can tell how much chlorophyll might be in a leaf. And they could tell whether a tree is dying. That is or, that's scary. They can see that, what you think. I was going to say, know? that is they unbelievable. Can, they can tell you everything you're doing, Ed. Yeah. That is, wow. <laughs> and, and this is. Sometimes I'm, I, don't, I don't want to even know myself, <laughs> much less them. Um, but anyway, this is all being done by the sky, whether wow. we know it or not. That's right. And it's for all different industries, but our industry could really uh, use it. And this. they can tell the height of the tree as well? Yeah, so they, if they could tell the height of a tree, yeah. where it's located, and whether it's dying right. or not, they can locate these danger trees for us. Uh-huh. And we could say, wow. only notify us of danger trees that are northwest and northeast. East or, or, or on the northwest or northeast, yes, southwest, northwest or southwest side to say just point those out and they go straight to our work order system for for their supervisor to you know acknowledge and, and send crews out there to yeah, take care of that is so, so cool. Um, so it's going to make us a lot more efficient in that. Obviously, um, they're focusing a lot actually in California in the southwest for wildfire uh, issues too because oh, yeah. you know when an arc happens to a oh, tree yeah. limb in a drought. That's what causes yep. you know fire sometimes, exactly and, and we right. don't like to think that electricity is causing it, but it can't. Yep. It can, and so Very easily, and so good right away maintenance can uh, can help take care of that. So, um, so that's what's changing, and we're excited yep. that now we're using satellite imagery. And I, I'm going to tell a success story because Odie, who they've met in a previous uh, episode, and now Ed. You know, both looked at me when I introduced this technology and like, don't screw up my my cycle. We got it figured out. <laughs> and uh, and I said, we'll see. We'll see. So I went ahead and did the 2022 as a pilot to see what were we going to cut in 2022 and did it need it or not. 
you know, and just let, and, and so I did that at the end of last year. And it determined that almost all of it did need it. Some of it could have shifted to 2023, but most of it did need cutting, and that the cut cycle is 5.3 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what did you just say earlier? We tried to get it around five and a half years. That's right. That is, wow. So we, we, what we've done is verified that the industry knowledge that uh-huh. Ed and Odie have. The human side, yeah. The human side, that we're, we're at least able to, to, to get there. Because what happened? Odie retired on April 1st, and you retired on <laughs> May 27th. May 27th. So, you know, we've got good, capable people that can that can put that human interest into it, but we now have that. We have some of we, – we can back up what you knew about our system by using some technology, so that's yeah. exciting in our that industry. So, so what was your favorite uh, utility story? <laughs> it doesn't have to be tree-related because we just want to hear you yeah. talk. Well, what's, what's the one that people always ask me to ask you about? Was it a horse and a right-of-way? Or oh, the mule. The mule oh, or something. Oh, boy. I don't know if we can say that on the podcast, but, but you know, I've had a couple of uh, co-op people over the years say, hey, you need to ask Ed about that story about that – Mule in the right of way. Well, had a crew working one day. Uh, they were in the northern area beyond Wake Forest here, and uh, the line ran through a pasture. Well, the guy on the tractor had been bush hogging, and the bucket had been in the pasture and done the trimming. And, you know, we don't want to leave no limbs in the pasture. The man may be uh-huh. going to use it for baling hay, and plus also we don't want the possibility of a horse and, you know, getting tangled up in the brush and, and hurting themselves. But anyhow... Uh, he took the tractor, was going to go in the pasture and get up the limbs and haul them out to a good spot and grind them up. Well, he went there to open the gate. It was two horses and a mule. And uh, they sort of crowded him up there to the gate, you know, and he backed up a little bit and went back again. And, well, they didn't never back up, so he was going to go ahead and try and unhook the chain on the gate and push it and get them right. out of the way. But when he did, they sort of lunged, and next thing you know, the gate was open and they were gone. They was <laughs> The horses, they took off, and the pole mule, he was in behind, and he was trying to keep up. They went around the curve, buddy, and they were just a pawing. I and, wish we uh, could be recording this to see his hands. You know, He's acting there. out the horses. <laughs> <And> they, uh, <laughs> they went on up the path toward the house, and then they turned to the left and went down a meadow strip through two soybean fields. And I don't know, the horses was out running the mule, and poor thing was trying to keep up. And all, all of a sudden, they said, he, they, the guys on the crew, they were just watching them because they knew they had to do what they could to try and get them back in defense. But they said all of a sudden, the mule, like it did a cartwheel. It just, oh. just flipped. And, oh, my goodness. And, and, and died. <laughs> oh, God. And it, I didn't know the story was going to end like that. Yeah, he died. And uh, Holy smokes. Well, Come to find out, when we got to checking things out, the mule had blood running down his nose, and some people had told me that was a sign he had a stroke. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Because he was trying to keep up with the trying horses. Trying to keep up with the horses, yep. And, and what's uh, the moral of that story? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't always try to keep up with the horses. Carry, some, carry somebody else with you to the gate and try and keep them back. <laughs> but anyway, we was building a transmission line at that time in the button area and uh, had a bulldozer doing some smoothing up we was in the processes in the final stages of getting that right away established and had a an old man he's passed on now but he was with lewis tree service name must have drew carter do it do it carter excuse me wore bibbed overhauls and old fedora hat and smoked cigars 
And anyhow, they had we had them bring the bulldozer down there and dig a hole to bury the mule in. And that took place one morning, got the mule in the, in the grave and covered him up. And when we got through, must have do it, cut the bulldozer off and got off and said, uh, so hope y'all won't mind this, said, but, uh, you know, I was raised on the farm and the time I came along, all we had to do to work with was mules and horses and, well, we had mules at home, and he said, I've always been sort of partial to them, and if y'all don't mind, I'd like to just play a little verse of Amazing Grace. And he reached in the bib of his overhauls and pulled out a little harp and played the prettiest rendition of Amazing Grace. And we were, that four of us standing around there, you know, grown men, all lumps in the You know, yeah, sure did, but. Oh. We felt, you know, we sent him away from here well. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it ends good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that right there is remarkable. But the, uh, That's respect, you know. Drone of the mule, he, he, he came out pretty good. Yeah. As far as being reimbursed for the mule. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Woo. Kind of got me all teared up there for a second. <laughs> well, you know, we don't like to see things, but, you know. What if you if you it's like George Macon who had the job before I got it. If something don't happen or something get tore up every now and then, you ain't doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's and, and well, that's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of work that needs to be done out out there, and yes, and, uh, and we appreciate all that you did for Wake Electric. Well, absolutely. we miss you around the halls. We miss uh, uh-huh. these uh, these cheerful stories that you tell. You know, I've I was well only in a pickup on the road looking after the right-of-ways for, like I say, 20 years and have met some wonderful people. I bet. I've, I've got more good experiences than I do bad. That's and, good And I've always been proud of that fact. Yeah. And I have felt bad and go into a yard and talk to someone either about a complaint or something that needed to be done, just break it, making them aware of it. And like I say, get out of the truck feeling bad and wishing you weren't even at work that day and get to talking to them and just – just be uplifted, mm. and I really enjoyed those opportunities because there's a lot of people out there that have, you know, a good Christian faith, and they can take your bad day and turn it into a, a good, good day. day. Wow, yes, that's sir. great. And 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 I have to admit, there was hardly a, a person or a place in our system that I couldn't ask Ed about, and he didn't know their whole family. Well. <laughs> And how to get to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of the development, though, has changed a lot of that. Years ago, you know, you had a 500-acre farm and that had one house on it or right. two houses. Uh-huh. And, you know, paths across the fields or through the woods and around the ponds and stuff, you know, to get back to the lines that went across country. Because in early years of REA, Rural Electrification Administration, their way of lending money was they wanted you to – utilize that money to the best effect yeah and building line then was the closest point from point a to point b, point b. if it went through the okie finoki swamp they didn't care but that's you know that was the best way to go the <laughs> right. shortest way that's yeah. what they looked at and uh we had a lot of line and still have a lot of line built cross country so to speak like that and uh you know when you have to lead the main roads and, and go a mile back in the woods to get to a line, and there's creeks running across that. It sort of hinder you from being able to go straight up down the right-of-way. You have to find a way into this section and a way into this section. 
you know, when you had the 500 acre farm, it was easy to get uh-huh. to those places. But now that you've got 500 houses on that 500 acre farm, mm-hmm. it makes it a lot different. Did any real quick, any kind of crazy story on any wild animals like, uh, you know, did you see Bigfoot, rattlesnakes? I mean, anything like that that uh, you could touch on? Anything that kind of shook you up or scared you? Yeah, I uh, I was off of Dick Smith Road one day. Had stopped by there just to get a preliminary vision of of what it would take to extend some primary to a man's place over there, and it was a very deep bottom. In other words, the path went in off the road and made a loop around and come back to a uh-huh. field, but. The best way we were looking at was going straight across that deep bottom. I had walked up, looked down in there, and said, oh, my Lord, this is so deep. You won't ever get down in here with equipment because of the hills. Well, the trees the trees eventually had to be climbed because they ain't growed up that tall yet. Yeah. I mean, it would be the wire would be so high in the air, it was just a situation. And I said, well, let me get back to the truck. And when I turned around, have you ever had the feeling that something was looking at you? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, I had that feeling, and I turned around easily, and I'm glad I did because within, I'd say, about five foot behind me, wasn't very big one, but he was big enough to have hurt a copperhead. Had done coiled up, and he had his head raised up, and he was was in the the strike mode. Yes, sir. And I just, oh, you know how that hot rush feeling come over you all of a sudden? I had that, and it just felt like I feathered up, you know, and just Uh floated away. (laughs) (laughs) We really need to record this. I mean, the video. We need the video. Yeah, the video. I meant the video recording. I I got back to the truck. I said, oh, Lord, I'm glad he didn't get me over here by myself. Oh, mm -hmm. gosh, yeah. Yes, sir. Ed, we always called you the mayor because you could go out and take care of things uh, for us. And uh, you're you're an awesome storyteller. And uh, we appreciate all your efforts over the years. We appreciate you joining us today on the on the podcast, and I hope our members enjoyed. I'm sure they did. So absolutely, thank, yeah, thank you very you. much. Thank you all. Ah, <laughs> love those fairies. It's like you always fall a little down dust to over a, here, a little dust over there. It's like falling in a bed of like feathers. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> oh my! Maybe I should change that sound. It's, it's relaxing putting, right after the some, interview and everything. Ed was amazing. Yeah, he was great. Oh, man. <laughs> Good time. Good time. Uh, yeah, he told lots of stories. I don't know that we were able to put all the stories that he told <laughs> in there, not because they were bad. It was because no. they, was, they were – he just told so many of them. He just started – after we hit the stop button – he, he kept, kept telling going. stories, yeah. and I so I hit the record button a couple more times <laughs> yeah. just to try to capture that. But anyway, that sound – means that we're at listener question segment of the podcast and uh we've been getting some for sure Uh uh-huh we we have and i think we might have a super fan out there dale from uh ellendale farm has uh sent in quite a few questions and uh we're gonna it's been a long episode why don't we hit at least one let's let's tackle the uh the first one he sent in um well first of all he had a suggestion for a short segment that can be added at the end of our podcast for the tech nerds out there and i think you know as we all said that's a great idea so maybe we can try to implement that but uh okay here we go when i'm walking the didn't dog he, he had a name for that segment right um didn't he say he was he wanted to name the segment what is that what's that yeah what's that what's yeah. that what's that yeah. sean we need your voice to say what's that 
There you go. <laughs> All right, we'll put that in there. All right, so so here we go. He says, when I'm walking the dogs or riding in someone's car, I often look up at the utility poles. There's all kinds of equipment and different kinds of lines that I can't help but wonder about. For example, I often see a fist-sized black oval object on the wire midway between poles where it crosses a road. What's that? Huh. What's that? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. That is easy to explain, I think, for most people. Just un- in, um, It gives them something. Maybe they could... They could step in and, and help us during an outage because those are fault indicators. What they do is they sense a fault on the line that is downstream of that device. And now you may ask, why are they next to the road? Uh-huh. So that we can ride down a road uh, yeah. because when they sense a fault, they start blinking. And at night, we, we know there's an outage in the area. We go and look for the blinking lights that happen on these fault indicators. So, And we might only see it happen on A phase or B phase or C phase. That's why you see three of them. So we can identify which phase might have seen the fault. And then what's interesting is if there's no fault downstream, it doesn't blink. So you can literally follow the fault indicators until they're not blinking and know, okay, it has to be in this area. So that is a, just a really quick way, and we don't call them fault indicators. What what do we call them, Sean? When uh, the servicemen uh, call them targets, so they'll say uh, we see we see the target down here. We're going to be riding the line, and as a dispatcher, if you're not out there with the servicemen and you're not as familiar with looking at the lines, you are not too sure what they're talking about. Right, but. and so now when they say target, they have seen a light blinking that would indicate where the fault might have occurred. Yes. So uh, we don't. They're not just located on the lines. Uh, they are also located on distribution transformers and switch gear and that sort of thing. We put targets on there. They're blinking at the ground level, and that way we know if it's an underground fault beyond that point as well. So, listener, if you're out of power and you're riding the line and it's safe, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you see one of those little, uh, one of those little fist size oval black balls hanging on the wire. Mm-hmm. And it's blinking. Call us. Tell us where you are. It might help us uh, figure out where the outage has occurred. Yeah. Cool. Good question. All right. Well, it's been a long episode. Good episode. How do people reach us if they want to send in their own questions or just find out more information about us? They can uh, call us at 919-863-6331 or email us at changingenergy at wemc.com. Please follow us on Twitter at Changing, capital NRG, Facebook, Changing, capital NRG, and we're on Spotify and iTunes. Please leave us some feedback and send us some questions. We'd love to hear from you. All right. And with that, we will close it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing Energy Podcast. Our broadcast team consists of Don, Kirk, and Sean, with special appreciation for Ira Osby, our producer, Leanna Crumpler, art, uh, artistic and social media guru, and Deshaun Gibbs with music and everyday smiles. We look forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Until then, keep the energy going.
it was a terrible fuss. The dogs was a barking and hollering and growling. Yo, dogs, hush. Yo, what's wrong with John? I don't know. John, holler. Y'all shoot up in here. Woo! Y'all shoot up in here. 